0: Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My grandmother died in her sleep when she was 100 years old. Having lived a good life, but in the final two years of her life, suffered from increasingly worsening dementia. Every time I went to visit her in the Satterton area, I would always relish the final few minutes with her, saying goodbye to her, and making sure that I told her that I loved her. I always walked out of her door wondering if it would be the last time that I would see her. Two years ago I had scheduled my next visit with her for July 6th as it had been a little over six weeks since my previous visit and I had been trying to make sure that I went to see her at least every six weeks. But grandma died on July 4th just two days before my scheduled visit. It was hard for me to imagine that I'd missed it by just 48 hours, my last chance to see her alive. I didn't get the chance to say the final goodbye that I had always hoped for. In the passage that was read to us by Marilyn from the Gospel of John, Jesus is on his way to his death, knowing full well what is coming ahead of him. And he's traveling an emotional journey. And part of that journey means saying goodbye. And we find him saying goodbye to his disciples. Now, in this farewell discourse that some biblical scholars call it, John takes a lot of text to get through this. He spends chapters sharing with us the words that Jesus said as he said goodbye. But yet, we read it knowing what the future holds. And so I think in a sense, at times, it can be a little bit more painful for us because we know that saying goodbye is always hard to do with loved ones. But I imagine that for Jesus, it was especially hard because he knew that some of these same beloved disciples would be the ones who would contribute to his betrayal in just the very near future. Again and again, in throughout the Gospels, yeah. Jesus tries to teach them the way and the truth. And so very often, especially in the Gospel of John, they don't seem to get it. And like this time, Jesus says to them in verse 21, which was just prior to what Marilyn had read to us. I'm sorry, that was... Um, Verse 21, they who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. And then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but another disciple, says to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and and not to the world? Now, Judas... This Judas was a faithful, but, but, but he was a bit of an anxious disciple. And even though throughout his whole ministry around Jesus' entire time with his disciples, Jesus would continually repeat and explain and redescribe and affirm and reaffirm and encourage and at times reprimand with love, but he continued to share his deepest, most poignant truths of God and life to his disciples. And even now, when Jesus is trying to explain to them that even though he is going away, they will not feel his total absence. He tells them the Holy Spirit will come and infuse them with guidance and strength and power and clarity. And the disciples' response is, we don't get it. We don't know the way, Jesus and we don't know where we are going or where you are going we just don't get it yet as I said all of us here have the joy of looking at these stories with hindsight we know what will happen to Jesus we know how the disciples will behave and respond and we know what Jesus is saying we understand the words But would we have known then what Jesus was saying? Would we have been as clueless as the disciples were? Perhaps, probably, and perhaps even more so. I mean, at least Judas had the courage to ask, to ask for clarification, to want to understand these perplexing, confusing words Now, I admit that it's good for my self-image to imagine the disciples as dumb as I am. I mean, I don't always get what Jesus is saying either, even now, with hindsight. Perhaps the disciples' stupidity is comforting to me when I even ignore the basic of Jesus' teachings. Love your neighbor as yourself. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Jesus is telling his disciples that he's leaving. He's going away for good. So I imagine that when the disciples heard that Jesus was saying goodbye, they didn't want to believe it. And then on top of that, he was explaining this departure that was unlike any they had ever heard. As Dirk said, it was not at all what anybody was expecting. what what they were expecting and so they said no wait a minute Jesus you say that you're going away but you're coming to us how can that be but Jesus had never lied to them everything he had done to this point had come true but yet if he leaves if he leaves all of us what will happen the preaching, the miracles, the new insights, the teachings, the healings, the peace. It will all go too. And while there was nothing that they could do about it. But Jesus said, wait. Yes, there is. There is something. I am sending you an advocate an advocate, one who guides us, teaches us, inspires us, cheers us on, promotes us, prepares the way for us, looks out for us. Now, Jesus knew his disciples well, and he knew us well, and he knew that his disciples, and he knew that we needed someone to look out for us. The disciples, in our lack of comprehension, didn't really seem to improve that much during Jesus' ministry. They kept asking these questions of, we don't get it. How can this be, Jesus? And so the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, would come and be with them and be with us. We can't do this alone. And Jesus never expected us to do it alone. But sometimes we think we have to do it alone. We can't share our burdens with anyone when we feel trapped. We're faced with the many struggles in life. I'm not sure how we will survive until our next paycheck, you might say. Or perhaps we get in a car accident And we have to pay for the damages to our car with our deductible and the others, and now our insurance premium is skyrocketing. The roof on our house is leaking, and after three different estimates, the cheapest one says we have to replace the entire roof at a cost of $12,000, and yeah, the sooner the better. Our son is involved in things that are definitely not healthy and not productive, and yet he doesn't seem to listen to our advice, and he totally disregards anything we say. I hate my job. Or the end of the school year can't come fast enough. I don't like school at all. I don't do well in my classes, and I I really can't find any friends. No one seems to like me anyway. They just ignore me, both students and teachers. I can't wait till summertime when I don't have to face them every day and feel so alone. I don't feel in love with my spouse anymore. We've always had a good marriage, but the spark isn't there anymore. And I don't know what to do. The stress of work and home life is getting too much for me. I never be, I'm never able to manage everything or even anything successfully. My mother just found out that she had cancer, and the doctors are not sure of her prognosis. Or you fill in the blank of what's happening in your life of what's feeling so heavy and so burdensome, and you're not sure how you're going to make it. And so to allay his disciples' growing dread and to reassure them that he, Jesus, wouldn't abandon them despite all the talk about his imminent departure, Jesus gave them three promises, and they are the promises that he also gave to us, his disciples. They are found in this text, and the first one is that neither Jesus nor God would ever abandon them. The second one is that he underscored that he was telling them all these things while he was still with them. Because he thought if they were forewarned, they wouldn't be surprised by what, whatever might happen in the future. Whatever the unknown was ahead But if they do forget, Jesus said, I'm giving you someone, something, the Holy Spirit, an advocate, who God will send in my name and will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. So Jesus tells us that he and God will send the Holy Spirit to be our counselor. And I tell you, I certainly need one. The Holy Spirit helps believers when they sincerely seek God's help. But the question is do we readily presume rather than plead for the Holy Spirit's assistance? As our helper in faith, the Holy Spirit helps to understand the teachings of Jesus, to uncover them with deeper spiritual insight, to integrate our personalities through them, and to clothe ourselves in ministry with them. But the multi-layered assistance of the Holy Spirit presupposes genuine interest and study and pleading on our part. It doesn't just happen. We have to be happening with it. We have to be preparing the way for it to happen. We have to be listening. We have to be watching. And so there is no need for fear and anxiety with the Spirit helping us and counseling us as long as we're paying attention, as long as we're doing the work of preparation, of reading the Bible, of paying attention to God. And then Jesus gives him, gives us, one of the best presents of all time. And that is the gift of peace in his time of absence. And despite all the appearances to the contrary during this time of farewell for Jesus, was that his disciples would have his peace. His peace, despite all that was going to happen in the days and weeks ahead He says, I think, some of the most powerful words that we ever find in the Bible. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. But this peace, Jesus says, is different than the world's peace, implying that we are going to counter some pretty traumatic ways that would test the resolve and that will try our souls. And what an appropriate gift for Jesus to remind them of when they were about to face their most disconcerting certainty, his departure. These words that Jesus said to his disciples brought on new meaning to me. In February, five years ago, I was here in Lancaster, and I was getting dressed in the upper bedroom of Linford and Marietta King's house. I was putting on my outfit to preach to you my candidating sermon. I was in my last semester of seminary, and I had met some of you the day before, but this day, this Sunday morning, was a big day. I was preaching. I was having lunch with you. I was speaking to you in a members' meeting. The adrenaline was flowing. And the nerves were about as high as they get. And I came down the stairs with my outfit that had been pre-approved by four of my closest friends. And I stood there, and Marietta stood at the bottom of the steps. And she put out her arms, and she said, How are you doing? And I said, I have never been so nervous in my whole life. And she hugged me and she whispered in my ear words that I will never forget. And she said, may the peace of Christ overwhelm you. May the peace of Christ overwhelm you. It was the most perfect thing she could have said to me. Because here was something much greater than I am, much greater than all of us are. And to have it overwhelm me was what I needed, and I think what all of us need. The Apostle Paul's passion for the gospel led him to places that he did not know, places that he needed the peace of Christ to overwhelm him. And in the book of Acts, we find Paul led by a vision. Now, Paul's intuitive awareness of the Holy Spirit is phenomenal. Now, he was one of these men who paid attention so that the Holy Spirit could guide him. So it, it, it shouldn't surprise us, but nonetheless it does by how quickly and how immediately and how without hesitation Paul immediately responded to this vision and must have believed for certain that it was God and it was the Holy Spirit guiding him. And for Paul, this time, it led him to Macedonia, a Roman province that was a link between Rome and the Eastern Empire. And here Paul began to preach to a bunch of strangers, people he didn't know, in fact, places he didn't know, so much so that he thought that this was probably where the people of God gathered. But I guess I'll just start preaching and see if anybody shows up. And that's where he encountered Lydia, a wealthy woman, a seller of purple fine fabrics. Lydia was a worshiper of God, but not necessarily Jewish. Now, we encounter in the book of Acts a recurrent theme of people who are drawn to God, and though they are not Jewish, they eventually embrace the gospel message and the discipleship to Jesus. There's something that drew all of these people, people who are ignorant of Jesus to Paul and to the other apostles. And this week I wondered what each of us might do to draw people to us. How much of this drawing is our responsibility? How much of this drawing is God's responsibility And how much is the other person's responsibility? Perhaps this is one of the many mysteries of the Holy Spirit. It is the sense of making ourselves open to possibility, but also knowing that we are not ultimately the ones responsible for everything in life. Lydia was there. She was open to worshiping God. She was the one who had come to the place of prayer. And then the Lord opened her heart, and she eagerly heard what Paul had to say. And she responded. Lydia's mind and heart weren't consumed with her very successful business. Her mind and heart were consumed with following God in her business and outside of it. She was an assertive, action-taking woman who then invited this group of strangers to her house. She embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ with hospitality to a stranger. And sometimes we feel so overwhelmed with life, with all the complexities of it, as well as the challenges and complexities of being a Christian. It's a huge task with lots of great expectations. And only people who really have their life together like Lydia could ever begin to try to be a disciple of Christ. Only the best and the brightest and the most talented and organized and selfless and insightful, only they could ever begin to be a follower of Jesus. But then we turn back to the Gospel of John. We return to the farewell speech When Jesus is telling his disciples, remember those 12 guys who never quite seemed to understand what Jesus was saying, who always had to ask for clarification, who like, what was that again, Jesus? We didn't quite get you. Who were regular, simple, ordinary guys who expected, who were expected by Jesus to be faithful, to live the lives that Jesus had called them to live. Jesus knew that the Christian life wasn't going to be easy. And so he promised them support through an advocate, the Holy Spirit. It is through the Holy Spirit that they could do the things that they never, never imagined they could do on their own. In fact, Jesus knew that no one, could do all of this on their own. No one, not even the person sitting in front of you right now this morning who appears to have his or life totally together and in perfect order, not even they should attempt to do this on their own. We must rely on the advocate. We have a gift in the Holy Spirit. It is possible. Even the most impossible challenges of the Christian life are possible to do if and when we invite the Holy Spirit in. My grandmother died in her sleep on July 4th. But she died only after calling in her live-in caregiver, Kay to her bedside just past midnight. Kay, thinking Grandma needed help to go to the bathroom, went to her bedside and said, Mother, what can I do to help you? And suddenly, with the clarity of mind of a 30-year-old woman, Grandma spoke to her in a way she had never had her speak to her. Grandma began to tell Kay how much she had appreciated all that she had done for her over the past three years and how much my grandmother loved Kay as her own flesh and blood. And then Grandma said to her, Come with me. But Kay, her caregiver, said, I have some things I need to finish up here, but you go ahead. I'll catch up with you." And so Grandma smiled and spoke her last words, words of love and gratitude and words of going to a better place. She closed her eyes with a smile on her face for the last time. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. God's fierce passion is for all of creation to be reconciled, restored, and remade, including all of humanity. God has a fierce passion for a new heaven and a new earth. And that will happen with God's working through the Holy Spirit through us. We don't do it alone, thank goodness. But we do it through the work of the Holy Spirit working through us as our guide and our advocate, the one who brings us peace, peace which the world will never understand until we share it with them, until we offer it as an invitation, as Paul did with Lydia, as Lydia did in return to Paul and his followers. And we invite others to experience our peace, the peace that comes only from Jesus, now and forever. Amen.